Pastoral ministry is always challenging. It's challenging under the best of circumstances. But man, these last couple of years, what pastors have had to be on the front lines doing, you know, the pandemic, shepherding congregations through these incredibly important national conversations around justice, all in the midst of this radically shifting ground as to what ministry even looks like and what cultural capital the church has. I mean, pastors are just right in the thick of that. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe that the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Welcome back to another episode of the Center for Congregations podcast. I'm Matt Burke, the Education Director and Northeast Director of the Center for Congregations. And I'm Ben Tapper. I'm an Associate for Resource Consulting out of our central office here in Indianapolis. Hey, Ben. Good to see you again, sir. Likewise. Always a pleasure. All right. So we're going to start this episode a little bit weird. So everybody who's listening, we're going to have about 30 seconds of silence. And what I want you to do is just breathe deeply. Take in a nice deep breath, hold it for a four count, let it out, hold it for a four count, and just do that for a minute. I promise we're not going to breathe in our mics and we're not doing ASMR. We're not going to creep anybody out. (sighs) Of course, Ben had to go there. (laughs) But in all seriousness, we're going to give you about 30 seconds. So just do some deep breathing for me, okay? All right, here we go. Three, two, one, breathe. And since 30 seconds is way longer than I thought it was, we'll, we'll stop it there. <laughs> but hopefully you got a few good deep breaths. But this episode is about sabbaticals. It's about rest. You know, I actually, I really appreciated that exercise. It was nice to just take a pause, right? And to take some very intentional breaths and to slow down. And that's what rest is about. And honestly, as weird as it sounds, I think as people, we struggle to understand what it means to rest. And I imagine that mm-hmm. can be especially hard, especially difficult for clergy leaders and pastors, simply because there's just so much on their shoulders any given day. So many things they're concerned about, thinking about, aware of, that they have to plan for. So to take a beat and to slow down and take a few breaths, that alone can be difficult, let alone taking you know uh, an extended break, vacation, or sabbatical. Yeah. Yeah, and even just like 30 seconds of silence felt really awkward for that context, right? But <laughs> right. but rest can feel like it's in some cases, and we'll talk about this maybe a little bit later on, how it can feel wrong. It can feel weird or off when we're actually trying to get rest. But before we get to that, Ben, where has sabbatical showed up in your work with congregations so far in your time with the center? You know, surprisingly, it hasn't shown up a whole lot. And maybe that's simply because we don't offer like grants for sabbaticals for our resource grant program that I'm aware of. And so it hasn't come up a lot outside of a couple, you know, pastors that have had grants with us before or are looking for resources on sabbaticals that have reached out. So I don't see it a lot and I don't hear about it a lot 
either, which is also a bit concerning to me. And I'm worried that that means that there are far too many pastors out there and clergy here in the central region that either aren't thinking about it, aren't talking about it, or just don't have the ability or the resources to take that extended time of rest and renewal. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been here seven and a half years now, and I probably have only had a handful of cases involving it. Sometimes it's funding, which there's good news, and the people that we talk to here in a little bit will have a little bit to say about that. Mm -hmm. But sadly, in a few cases, it's really been more about how do we convince our congregational leaders or our congregation that sabbatical is important and a good idea? How do we get to the point where they'll actually let our pastor go and take some time off for refreshment and renewal? And in other cases, it's just been kind of basics, like how do you do it? How do you structure it? What does the congregation do while the pastor is gone? Definitely very practical considerations. But one of the most alarming things, I think, to me is the need to convince the congregation that it's helpful and good. Mm. And if I could speak to that, I don't know if I ever heard this growing up, but I had a sense growing up that it's like, well, tough. You get vacation time and we all work year round. So why should you get a month off, six weeks off, and the rest of us don't get six weeks or a month off. But I can tell you from being a part of congregational life and being involved in leadership at times in congregations and in my work here at the center, being a clergy leader, being a spiritual leader is a very, very different existence than any other kind of job. I've heard pastors talk about it is almost pretty much 24-7, 365, and I've heard stories of vacations cut short because somebody passed and the pastor had to get home. And I don't think people realize how hard it is to be a pastor of a congregation, to be a clergy leader of a congregation, especially in the current climate in the United States. But even at the best of times, it is a challenging, challenging occupation and potentially one of the hardest out there, in my opinion. And not to mention, there are many, many clergy leaders for whom being a leader isn't their only job, yeah. right? We have bivocational, trivocational, multivocational clergy leaders. And so in addition to, you know, spending time with family they may have at home, in addition to working in their congregational context, they have one, two, three other jobs they're doing just to keep things afloat. Not to mention the multifaceted strain of leadership. You know, clergy leaders can be responsible for everything from regular maintenance to strategic planning to general emotional care for congregants. You know, it requires such a diverse skill set and such an intense emotional capacity at times that the demands are just different than most other vocations. Yeah, interesting. Maybe this will be the episode of me giving exercises to the people listening. There <laughs> so we got go. another exercise for you. <laughs> so when you get a chance, I mean, if you're, obviously if you're driving or mowing the grass, don't do it right now. But when you get a chance, sit down and just write down what your expectations are of what a pastoral leader, a clergy leader needs to be able to do well. And I think you're going to find, you look at, they need to handle the church, the congregational finance. You know, they need to be a good public speaker. They need to be somebody who can put together a good worship service. They need to be somebody who can be there at someone's bedside. And that's just scratching the surface. So seriously, have a seat, pull out a piece of paper and write down the things that you expect a good clergy leader to be able to do. And I think you're going to find that that list might end up being a little bit unrealistic of any given person, uh, any single individual, right? So give that a shot and just see what kind of impressions that gives you. Yeah, I think that's a great exercise, Matt, and I'm glad you brought that up. So I hope folks will take a second and just do that. Just I think it'll give them added perspective as we jump into our interview here. And the good news that Matt alluded to earlier is that there is a program 
funded by the Lilly Endowment that is designed to offer finances and financial support to congregations that want to send their clergy leader on a sabbatical. And so we had a great interview. We're going to get a chance to hear more about that program and why a congregation should send in an application for it. Yeah, and just in case you don't listen through the entire episode, we want to let you know that there's an informational meeting on November 3rd of 2021. So if you're listening to this after November 3rd, it is a virtual presentation. So I think they're going to be recording it. So you didn't miss out. But if you can go live, we'd encourage you to check out and we'll have the website listed. We'll mention the website at the end of this episode and we'll list it in the show notes. But on November 3rd, there's an informational meeting about this fantastic program. We are here today uh, with Dr. Rob Saylor, who is the director of the Lilly Endowment Clergy Renewal Program at Christian Theological Seminary, and Reverend Callie Smith, who's the associate director of the Lilly Endowment Clergy Renewal Program, also at CTS. Thank you both for being here this morning. We're excited we get to talk with you. A big pleasure. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. So why don't we jump in? Can you all just give us a brief overview of what the Clergy Renewal Program is and what its intent is? The uh, Lilly Endowment Clergy Renewal Programs have actually been going on now since 1999. And what we do is we give grants to congregations of up to $50,000 to support pastors taking renewal leaves. And by that, we mean stepping away from the day-to-day activities of the congregation and doing whatever it is that will really refresh and revitalize them for ministry. And up to $15,000 of that $50,000 can be used by the congregation to cover costs while the pastor is away. So the hope is that it really doesn't cost the congregation anything. Thing to go through this experience with the pastor. That sounds like a phenomenal program. One of the congregations that I used to attend and work at, First Mennonite, took advantage of that. And it really was a blessing for our pastor to be able to go away for a time of renewal and for the congregation to have resources at its disposal to get to use for other leaders to step in and fill that void and even allowed us to do some professional development of our own while our pastor was gone. So yeah, it's a wonderful program. A lot of the best ones that we've seen are ones where the pastor and the congregation really take this journey together. It's funny, the way the structure of the grant is set up, legally the congregation and not the pastor is the applicant. And that sounds like really in the weeds, legal technical stuff, but it actually is emblematic of the genius of the program because the worst kind of sabbatical if I can just put it really bluntly here, the worst kind of sabbatical is the one where it's like, oh, well, the congregation is allowing the pastor to go away or the congregation is indulging the pastor in doing this. The best kind of situation is one where the congregation and the pastor are excited about tackling this together. And yeah, like you say, Ben, that can mean that the congregation is doing its own kind of activities while the pastor is away. It can mean speakers are coming in. It can mean the congregation is sometimes what it means is that the congregation actually slows down too. We've had situations where the pastor goes away, the congregation, you know how in a lot of congregations, like 10% of the people do 90% of the work. Those 10% will actually sort of step back too. And that takes a leap of faith because it's like, whoa, are we somehow 
grinding to a halt here. And no, it's rest. Congregations are living organisms. And if the pastor is taking a rest, then sometimes the rest of the congregation will choose to do that too. It's a real variety. And that's one of the things that we get really excited about. Yeah, that was going to be one of the questions that I wanted to ask about uh, sabbaticals is what you've learned about the benefits both to the clergy leader and to the congregation. Because I think a lot of times the congregation, at least in the faith tradition that I grew up in, I don't know that sabbaticals were really prized. And there was almost a sense that like, well, the rest of us work all the time. So why should you get a really long break? And I think the focus tends to be on the pastor. But as I understand it, it can be very beneficial for the congregation also. And so I'm curious as to what benefits the congregations that you've worked with experience when they go through this process? I think one of the most exciting benefits that I've noticed is as these congregations are reflecting on what happened when the pastor is away, so many of them seem surprised that they were able to pick up some of these responsibilities themselves and actually thrive. I think they were maybe aware of some of the anxieties that they were experiencing as a group with the idea of the pastor going away. But in those cases, many times the renewal leave turned out to be a time when congregation members were sharing their own testimonies and stories, were speaking, were learning about each other and learning about gifts they didn't realize they had and things that they could contribute to the body that they didn't realize they could contribute. So that's one of the very exciting things I've seen congregations reflecting on after the fact. Yeah, that's really interesting. I had a friend who actually just left pastoral ministry to become a chaplain and nothing negative, but as he was exiting, the senior lay leader said, we did not realize how much you were carrying and we didn't realize that it was too much. And I wonder if a sabbatical scenario, if those kinds of things also pop up from time to time. I think that's right. You know, one of the things that we ask pastors to do when they're thinking about their congregation applying, um, I'll often pose to them, imagine you walk into your office three months from now, four months from now, one month from now, however you decide to structure the leave. Imagine you walk in and you just feel ready to go. You just feel energized. You just feel in love with ministry. Whatever it is that brought you into ministry in the first place, you're feeling that. What would you have been doing with some resources and some time in those months prior to you walking into the office that day that would get you to that state? And I think to your point, Matt, that's not just a question for the pastor. That's a question for the broader congregation. But as with so much of this language, that can sound really sort of, I don't know, airy, really sort of sentimental. I don't think it is. I think it involves some really down-in-the-dirt, nitty-gritty questions around who is doing what, who's carrying what, and if the ministry belongs to the whole people of Christ and the whole body of the church, what does it mean for that to be distributed? Not just in a, I don't even think like a, in a fair way, but in a joyful way. I like a way that really draws out everyone's capacities. What I'm wondering about is what happens after a minister gets back from sabbatical. And specifically, I'm wondering how often you've observed ministers going on sabbatical and then realizing that they actually, now that they've had a break and time away to think about it, to reflect, they realize that it's time for them to transition. So they come back and that process begins. How often have you observed that happening? Is that a likely outcome or when does that come up? I'm really glad you asked that because I think that's one of those fears that congregations have. If our pastor goes away, 
and has this time of discernment. <laughs> what if the discernment goes in that direction? And I think there is kind of a mythology out there that that's a likely outcome of sabbaticals. What I can tell you is that in terms of our observation, and we've done some pretty down in the weeds data collection around this, is that the opposite tends to happen. Generally, having this time of renewal revitalization will actually extend a pastor's tenure in the congregation rather than cut it short. But having said that, I don't want to lose something really important in your question, Ben, which is that if the framework is, okay, ministry is grinding me down, grinding me down. Oh, I go away. I take a break. I take a breath. I feel human again. And now I come back into the exact same system, the exact same scenario, and nothing's changed to where my tank's just going to start to go down again. That, I think, can actually be counterproductive. That, I think, is harmful. So one of the things that readers look for when we read these grant applications is, is this just kind of a break and a way of the pastor surviving an unhealthy situation? Or does this opportunity represent, as we said, the pastor and the congregation being able to think together about, well, what is really going to be sustainable in the long run? So I'm at the point where I would say, if a sabbatical is just a break from a situation that is intolerable, then that sabbatical can actually do harm. If the sabbatical is being undertaken with a healthy spirit within a healthy system to where everyone is sort of seeking this revitalization and is open to the kind of change that might happen when that revitalization takes place, then that's a situation that's really healthy. And Callie, I know you talk to a lot of pastors at all stages of this. What do you see? I mean, I think the application to this grant program really does give pastors and congregations the opportunity to explore the idea and explore how they might want to approach it in advance as they're crafting this proposal, because it's asking the pastor and the leadership of the congregation to really collaborate and to really talk through specifics about what the time away or what this time of change is going to mean. And so I think we could almost think about the the preparation for a sabbatical or the preparation of a grant application as a time of discernment in itself to really explore what the climate and what the relationship of pastor and congregation is. So there are opportunities along the way to either discern that this is not the right time for one reason or another, or that this is a really exciting opportunity and there's a lot to run with and a lot to explore. So yeah, it's not a a one-size-fits-all concept, the idea of a sabbatical or a pause. That's really helpful to hear. In the grant application or once a congregation gets into the process of their leader going on sabbatical, are there resources that are offered to help them do that kind of more institutional structural discernment so that they know what shifts need to be made for their pastor or minister to come back and have a sustainable ministry again? I think that represents a real opportunity. We always walk this line between sort of respecting the congregation's instincts for what's going to be best for it. But on the other hand, you know, just like Center for Congregations, we sit in the midst of this ecology, as they say, of really sharp people that are working on this. And one of the things that I think we've been kicking around is that without prescribing anything, we have an opportunity to connect congregations to more and more resources around this. One place where this is happening is that we've realized that the model that we have for these sabbaticals 
And I think, Matt, this gets to something you were saying earlier. It fits really well within some denominational traditions framework and their way of thinking. And it fits really well within certain modes of dominant culture within Christianity and within the U.S. There are other expressions, very vital expressions, increasingly majority expressions of Christianity in the U.S. that this model that up to now has not really fit. And I'm thinking predominantly of African-American churches, Spanish-speaking contexts, and so on. So one of the things that a journey that we've been on for the last year, and we've had some additional funding from Lilly Endowment that provides money for this. We've had some funding for them to work with consultants to explore what does it mean to change some of the way we do things, not just to invite these congregations in, because we've always invited them in. But as we know, offering the invitation, that's not enough, right? <laughs> like saying, oh, here's a chair for you at the table. That's, that's, that's not enough. You have to be really self-searching and honest saying, what is it about the way we operate that may be putting up barriers. And we've already made some changes on that front. For instance, in the national program, it used to be the only way the pastor could demonstrate commitments to ongoing formation and theological education was to have a Master of Divinity from an ATS accredited seminary. Now, I teach at a seminary. I love MDivs, but we realized that there are lots and lots of pastors out there for whom a uh, development and education looks different than a formal MDiv. So we've altered that requirement to where now a pastor can demonstrate that commitment through a variety of ways, the MDiv being one of those, but not a required one. We've also realized that for bivocational pastors or for pastors in some of these contexts, the prospect of being able to step away for an entire three months uninterrupted it's just not going to be feasible, especially if there are multiple jobs in the mix, right? So we've broadened our sense of what the structure of a leave could look like. And now we're allowing pastors to propose leaves that are maybe one month here and then a year later, two months there, or maybe even just a few weeks away at a time. But as long as they convince us that it really is going to be a helpful disruption of the normal routine in a way that's going to give them the space. We've had to broaden our thinking around that. And it's a really exciting time right now. It's an intense time because, again, some of the procedures that we've had in place, and this is how it goes, right? You have reasons for them. You think they're coming from a good, benevolent place. And, and in a sense, they are. But if they're really putting up these barriers, again, we're just in a very self-questioning mode around that. And the transformation has been really powerful. Callie, I know, has been involved with some of that work, too. Yeah, it's been promising to me to see and to talk with pastors and congregations asking about what that change in our thinking and in the guidelines of the grant can mean. But people are in all sorts of different life situations. And so what makes sense for a single pastor or for a pastor with grown children to do will change completely if that pastor's family suddenly adopts children and the whole family dynamic changes. And what is refreshing, what is renewing for the family, that's going to need to look different. And so it's been great to be able to talk with applicants through the process and say, well, no, look, there are all these possibilities for how you can think through time away, for how you can arrange this with your congregation, and to hear the sort of relief that there's not a particular model they have to fit into. 
Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that because from the stories that I've heard and the pastors that I've spoken with that have taken part in the program, if anyone listening is not familiar with this program, you need to understand how generous this program is and how the heart is truly about positive change and refreshment for leadership. And I just want to make sure that that's clear in this, that this is not a research sabbatical. This is not you leave and you need to go do a bunch of work or you need to do a bunch of self-improvement. This is genuinely about refreshment and getting back to why you were there in the first place, if I'm understanding correctly. And so if you've not checked into this program, please check into this program on behalf of your congregational leader. If you are a layperson or if you are a pastor, look into this program because I'm a big fan of the program and believe that it does a lot of good work. And it's one of the key reasons why we wanted to have you both here, because we think that this is an amazing opportunity. So if you haven't checked it out, please do so. Yeah, one of the frameworks that we use when we're evaluating these proposals, and and it is a competitive program in the sense that we get a lot more excellent applications than we're able to fund. And oftentimes congregations need to apply multiple times prior to being funded. But one of the questions that readers look at when they're looking at what the pastor and the congregation propose to do is the question of joy versus obligation. And the reason why that's important is that the exact same activity can either be proposed out of a sense of joy or out of a sense of obligations. So suppose, for instance, you're a total theology nerd and, you know, you really enjoy teaching 19th century theology at Christian Theological Seminary. Suppose you, you know, so, hypothetically, so, yeah, hypothetically. if someone existed like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Suppose there was such a person, <laughs> you know, I, and, and if I'm a pastor, I might say, oh, I just want to go away and I want to write two awesome articles on Friedrich Schleiermacher. If that's in an application, What the readers are going to look at is, wait, is this person doing that out of a sense of joy? Oh, I've got free time and resources and there is nothing that will fill my tank more than getting a chance to just zero in on what I really love. Or to your point, Matt, is this a sense of, well, if I'm getting this money and I'm going away, I need to come back down from the mountain with, you know, holding some kind of tablet, right? Or I've got to come up with a strategic plan or I have to come up with like eight great sermon prompts or something like that. Preaching is a really good example. If we read someone saying, oh, I want to go listen to all these great preachers. That's fine. We have a lot of people doing that. But one of the questions we're going to ask is, are you doing that out of a sense of, I've got to get my preaching better and you're going to be sitting there stressed the whole time. Like, how do I learn from this? Or is the congregation expecting you to come back with like, (laughs) you know, this totally new preaching style? Or is it a sense of, wow, I do so much preaching, I never get to hear it myself. I never get to get preached to. That's what I need in order to fill me up and recenter me. So again, exact same activity, depending on the the mindset, the framework, it can be different. You know, our tagline is what will make your heart sing. And when I first started directing the programs, when Callie and I came on in uh, 2012, I heard that and I'm like, oh, again, is that like too airy? Is that like too sentimental and so on? But what that line is really trying to do is say, what's going to bring you joy? What's going to fill you and re-energize you? Not just provide yet another obligation of a thing you've got to produce or some skill you have to develop. So you're right, Matt, that really is at the heart of the programs. I'd like to flip that question back to both of y'all. As you think about the work that you do specifically around this program, what is it about this work that makes your heart sing? And Callie, we can start with you. 
It's been an amazing opportunity, as Rob said, since we came on in 2012, getting to be one of the people who is talking on the phone, both with applicants and with grantee congregations, who's reading written reflections and reports after the fact. And you can definitely tell so many times when there is this passion about this once-in-a-lifetime experience that a pastor's family got to have together or that a pastor got to have reconnecting with an old passion or uh, an interest that they hadn't had a chance to really dive into yet. So, I mean, to receive a collection of photographs that a pastor took on her time away while traveling in Alaska and these amazing, gorgeous images, and to hear the excitement as she's describing her journey into photography, or to receive the images of artwork that congregations have created or mosaics that they've done to sort of explore their own creativity while the pastor was away exploring her creativity, just the the joyful expressions that we get a chance to glimpse from, again, both clergy and lay people reflecting on what this renewal time was. That's one of the exciting things to me, to hear the joy. And then also, if we are interacting with a pastor or a congregation that came back to a really difficult time after their leave, for instance, coming back right before the pandemic, to hear them say, wow, if we hadn't had this time of renewal behind us, when we came to this pandemic time, or if we hadn't had this time of rejuvenation through the clergy renewal experience, we wouldn't have been prepared for what we were about to face. So, so many of those stories that we've had a chance to encounter are encouraging to me and are exciting part for me to get to to keep doing the same kind of program year after year because the outcomes are always different. I think picking up on what Callie said, it's funny, in the last year or so, when I've found myself in groups of pastors talking about this, I found myself getting really emotional just out of gratitude for what pastors are. (laughs) Pastoral ministry is always challenging. It's challenging under the best of circumstances. But man, these last couple of years, what pastors have had to be on the front lines doing, you know, the pandemic shepherding congregations through these incredibly important national conversations around justice, all in the midst of this radically shifting ground as to what ministry even looks like and what cultural capital the church has. I mean, pastors are just right in the thick of that. And I see myself much more sort of in the background, in the support role being like, here is a program which again is not layering on (laughs) and now here's a new strategic planning initiative of like 90 things you need to do there are times and places for that i'm all in favor of that but to have alongside all of these great resources an invitation to really just rest and breathe that feels not only very gratifying to me but it feels like a way in which we can be one small part of what keeps ministry going. You know, ministry saves lives. It saves souls in, in the fullest sense of that phrase. And to have one tiny sliver of taking care of the people that do that, it means a lot to us. Thank y'all for sharing that little glimpse into your heart and what brings you joy doing this work. I think it's an important question to ponder because it illuminates something different about the program. It's a different way of answering the why of the program than looking at, yeah, you'll get 50 grand, you know, it might benefit your pastor, your congregation this way. But to hear the people doing the work, trying to recruit the leaders to evaluate the application, speak to what makes them smile, even in the midst of this work, 
I just think it adds a different element of why a congregation might want to apply and participate. And so I appreciate y'all sharing vulnerably and sharing your hearts around that. One more thing I'll say, you know, teaching and Ben, you know, you were a CTS grad, you know, we have students here at the seminary and, you know, we're located in a seminary. So we get to know these students. We realize when they walk across that graduation stage, you know, whether they're going into pastoral ministry directly or sort of other kinds of ministry, we're sending them out into these circumstances that are incredibly exciting. I mean, the spirit is at work in amazing ways in the church right now, but that also really are going to require a level of creativity and courage that is different than in previous generations, not saying less or more, but different. And it also feels like a way of taking care of the people that are walking across that stage that we've sort of fallen in love with for three years at the seminary. That matters to us too. Yeah. Beautiful way to put it. And if anyone from the endowment is listening, I mean, if you feel like just throwing another one or two mil their way for this program, I mean, just, you know, we're not going to stop you. That's all I'm saying. Just let's go to work. That's awesome. Well, as we come towards the end of our time, I'm curious about, you mentioned resources earlier on, and if each of you could share maybe one really particularly good resource that you know of having to do with sabbaticals, whether that be for the clergy leader or for the congregation, and we'll include that in our show notes and our resource list to make sure that the listeners can get their hands on something that may help them think about this differently or implement it in their environment. So let's start with you, Reverend Smith, if you want to let us know something, a resource that you think would be helpful. Yes, one thing I frequently share, and this is plugging the front page of our website, but there's a, this great podcast series that our program did interviewing friends of the program as well as pastors who've experienced these renewal leaves. And the chance to listen to these people reflecting on their experiences, not only what their leave time was like, but also on what happened within their congregations, what their congregations were trying, what it was like to go through these journeys together. I think those are some really rich conversations in that podcast series to help people both get an initial idea of the clergy renewal program, but also sort of as an educational piece, because this isn't just a program for congregations that have a tradition of pastor sabbatical. So many congregations are coming to this program that have never experienced a pastor's sabbatical before, and they're hesitant, and they don't understand, and it can be a, a process of sharing stories or resources like these podcasts to help educate people what is the need and the reason and the beauty of a sabbatical. And that journey that pastor and congregation can go on together really can lead to some excellent grant applications and renewal experiences. So that's one location, that podcast series that I would share. So I'm sitting here in this existential quandary about whether to mention the book that I wrote. You know, I grew up Midwestern Protestant, like you do not talk about your own. <laughs> your own Please do. Me, Please do. Our audience is used to shameless plugs. Let me, let me just tell you why I wrote it. There were several excellent books on sabbaticals out there, and we've got them listed on our website. The reason why I thought it would be good to have one more is that my book, Planning Sabbaticals, is actually written directly to the congregation. So instead of the frame of, I'm a pastor and I want a sabbatical, how do I bring the congregation along with that? I start with the congregation and this sort of shared journey with the pastor's leave being one part of that. So 
again, I take all of the books that we list on our website, along with the podcast that Callie mentioned, they all have something of value. But the reason I wanted to add my book into that conversation was I wanted something that could easily be handed out, say, at a congregational meeting or a council meeting or something like that, and to have people feel like someone's talking to them rather than talking to the pastor about them, if that makes sense. So that book's available. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And I think that's such a critical piece that we tend to think that maybe even working on the sabbatical is just the sole responsibility of the clergy leader, but it's a good practice of caretaking your leadership and taking care of them, making sure that they're getting what they need. So thanks for mentioning that book and excited that it's out there. Thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you for your work in this very important ministry. We're big fans of the program and look forward to continuing to hear great stories. So Dr. Saylor, Reverend Smith, thank you so much for being here today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. And as promised, we wanted to provide you with the link to the informational meeting for January 3rd. It is in the show notes, but just in case you don't have access to the show notes or aren't sure how to get there, you can find it at www.cts.edu slash clergy hyphen renewal. That's again, www.cts.edu slash clergy hyphen renewal, R-E-N-E-W-A-L. And that meeting will be held from one to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, November 3rd. So you can register for that on the website. So we had a really robust interview with Dr. Robert Saylor and Reverend Callie Smith. I'm wondering, Matt, as we learn more about the program, what stood out to you? I think one of the biggest takeaways for me was his conversation about obligation versus joy. And, oh my gosh, is that not applicable to all people? Yeah. And so that was just a huge takeaway for me that... Just growing up in the United States with our general work ethic, with the Protestant work ethic, that like everything should add value. And when he talked about, you know, maybe somebody writing articles on Schleiermacher, like that's life giving to them. It's like more power to you. Right. <laughs> you know, right. not me, but <laughs> that's not my thing. But it was just encouraging to me to find things in my life that give me joy, but that don't have a return because yeah. that is the return, right? And we forget that being a human being, Part of being who we are is refreshment, rejuvenation, and just enjoying life. And it doesn't have to be productive. Mm. And so I just want to use that as a word of encouragement to everyone listening to this, whether you're a clergy leader or not. And even if you're somebody who's really young and just trying to get through high school or college, if you're in high school, I question why you're listening to this podcast. You're probably (laughs) way more wise, wiser than we are. Probably. (laughs) So please keep listening. I mean, we like you here. Go do something uh, fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, go do something fun. (laughs) Right. But just as an encouragement to anyone, whether you're just kind of getting started in your career or whether you've been in your career a really long time, are you finding time for joy versus obligation? Are you finding time to do the things that you love to do? And if you're not sure what that means, then chances are you need to find it all that much more. And maybe start considering what are some hobbies? What are some things that just seem to make the time pass better for me? What are some things that I just enjoy doing that sometimes maybe even you feel guilty about it, but you just, you should engage in it because it gives you life. That was a huge takeaway for me. What about for you, man? 
No, I mean, I love that as well. And I think just to piggyback off what you said, we can get so caught up in the grind. And especially in my experience, you know, kind of that white Protestant culture, that Protestant work ethic is still there, still very real. And you can work yourself to the bone if you're not careful. And so, yeah, being able to find the things and to dedicate time and energy to the things that bring you joy, as Reverend Callie and Dr. Saylor said, that make your heart sing, those things are phenomenal. And they will give you moments of renewal along the way. And I think that's really important. Yeah. For me, my biggest takeaway was just hearing about what brought Reverend Smith and Dr. Saylor joy as they're doing this work, you know, and getting to hear about the joy that they receive from talking with pastors, learning about seeing pictures that they bring back from their trips, learning about how they view it as a way to to give back and show love to the students that have graduated from the seminary in the past. I mean, all the things that they shared and just the way their tone shifted as they were talking about the joy they felt in doing this work, you can tell that this is something they genuinely care about. And it's something that speaks to their heart, speaks to the mission, to their why. And I just, anytime I get a chance to see someone speak to their why and to speak to their purpose in any given moment, I just really appreciate that. And it feels like such a humbling experience and I feel honored to get to witness that. And so I love that. And my hope is that pastors or clergy leaders that take advantage of this renewal resource will be able to rediscover that same joy, you know, in certain moments and then maybe even bring it back into their work. So I think that was my takeaway. Yeah. And even though this is a generous program that helps do that, I mean, obviously one can do that in many, many ways. And so as an encouragement that if you in your day-to-day job that's not even ministry-related or in your leadership in your congregation or in your clergy role, if you're not finding joy, like, number one, that's okay. Like, we all go through periods where we're just not feeling it. But I would encourage you that if you're not energized by what you're doing, that's a good signal that maybe something needs to change a little bit and you need to find ways to rest and rejuvenate yourself or you need to rediscover the joy that used to be in whatever it is that you do. And I understand that that's a luxury that some people, you may be working a job that you do it because you have to, because you have to care for your family and that's understandable and normal, but at the same time, still finding joy outside of that, that your life is not just your job, that your life is out in other things possibly. I remember when I was doing ministry, when I was working in banking, and I really felt like my day started when I left my job because I went to the campus of the University of Dayton and worked with crew there. And it was just so life-giving and so much fun. So even if your job is not your joy, that's okay. But what is it in life that you can find that does give you energy and refreshment. Yeah. Yep. Well said. Well said. Again, Matt, to your point, this topic of joy, I don't think comes up enough. It's it's something that as a millennial, I'm very familiar with, right? And I think about often, sometimes I wonder if it's to my detriment, but I don't think it comes up in the workplace often enough. And even in educational settings, I don't know that it came up, especially in grad school. So mm-hmm. I love that this program and, and through this podcast, we're able to take a moment and just remind people that they get to think about what can bring them joy. Even if it's something small, just five minutes a day, what can you do or what can you stop doing that might help your heart to sing a little bit more each day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely.
turn our attention to resources now, and we will definitely post up the resources that Dr. Saylor and Reverend Smith mentioned and make sure that those are in our show notes and in the collection for this episode. But Ben, what resource do you have to bring today for the folks listening? The resource that I've got today is called the Center for Congregational Resources at Samford University. Sounds very similar to who we are, but it is different, I assure you. The Center for Congregational Resources offers resources that help ensure that congregational leaders, clergy leaders, and pastors are able to successfully guide their ministries, basically. They offer things around racial reconciliation resources, pastoral enrichment resources, and bivocational resources. And I bring it up because they also have resources regarding clergy renewal and sabbatical. And so if you just want more information, more resources to check out for your congregation broadly, but specifically around Sabbath and study leaves, you can go to the Center for Congregational Resources at Sanford University and check them out. How about you, Matt? What you got today? Yeah, so I have a blog article by a guy named David Briggs on the Huffington Post, and it was posted in 2017. It's called, Is Your Congregation a Clergy Killer? Mm. How Churchgoers Matter to Mental Health of Pastors. And the introductory paragraph of this says, Clergy who serve flocks that support them in their times of need and let their pastors know how much they mean to them are much more likely to be satisfied in their ministry and have a higher quality of life according to a new study. And so basically this article delineates a study by researchers from Duke University, Azusa Pacific University, and the University of New Mexico. And it just discusses the findings of how congregations can either alienate or be negative to the clergy leaders and ways that they can have a positive impact. And there even are just some very specific practical pieces at the end of one of them's taking a pastor to lunch and just talks a little bit about that. But just a really practical resource to think about, you know, how is your congregation doing as you're taking care of your clergy leader? Because I can tell you from experience, clergy leaders, not my own experience, but clergy leaders that I know, it's often a very isolated existence. And a lot of times there aren't enough people watching their backs. And so I think it's important for you, if you're a lay leader in a congregation or even just a congregant, to know that you really need to have your clergy leaders back and find ways to support them and love them because their job, as we mentioned earlier, is a really, really difficult job. Absolutely. And sometimes we can get really meta with this stuff, but it's great to have some practical tips on how to do that. Also, transparently, you know that there's usually one time in every episode at some point where I just zone out momentarily. It's usually because I get distracted by some random thought. There are a lot of versatile uses for the title or the moniker Clergy Killer. I feel like it'd be a great punk or alternative rock group name, number one. Uh, I think that it could be a hamburger or a new Denny's breakfast menu item featuring a lot of pork and hash browns. And it might even be the moniker for a serial killer at some point. So I was just thinking about all the ways we can use this moniker. Or a great film. You know, it could be a comedic film. It could be, uh, you know, a psychological thriller, right? Yep, yep. Something akin to Velocipaster. Yes. Are you familiar with the, the movie Velocipaster? I'm not, but I love it already. Okay, yeah. Did the pastor turn into a Velociraptor? Yeah, it's literally a film about a pastor who has a mystical experience and is able to then turn into a Velociraptor. So, What's not to love about that? <laughs> Well, hey, we'd be remiss if we didn't thank the Lilly Endowment for their generosity. They do fund our work. They also fund the work of the Clergy Renewal Program that we hosted today. They do so much good work in the communities, not only for communities in general, but specifically for religious organizations. And so we're thankful for their funding 
We are very appreciative of the endowment and also appreciative of our audio engineer, Jaden Lee. He helps us sound fantastic each and every episode, and he does the original music for this podcast. And so we just appreciate his talent, his gifts, and real talk, his friendship. He's just a good man in general. Yeah. He's one of those people that you're kind of mad at him because he's so good at so many things. He's a musician. He's a photographer. He's an editor. I feel like he can cook, too. We, we shouldn't leave that out. I would be willing to bet he can. Mm-hmm. He just seems like he can. Jaden, you'll have to let us know, can you cook? Absolutely. <laughs> And as always, if you've appreciated this podcast and the work we're doing, take a moment to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We're currently at, I think, 16 or 17 ratings. We'd like to bump that up to 30. Yeah, let's just bump it up to 30. If you haven't left us a rating, take 10 seconds, hit that five-star button, and then you can keep it moving. It's the quickest way for other listeners to find out about this work and to find out about great resources like the Clergy Renewal Program. Want to take a moment and invite you to also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, it is the quickest way to stay up to date for education events, congregational stories, and additional resources that we're continuously reviewing. So if you just want to stay up to date on what we're thinking about and talking about, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. If you're listening this late in the episode, we would love for you to email clergykiller to podcast at centerforcongregations.org just to let us know that actually someone hung in there <laughs> till the very end of the podcast. That's right. But hey, we don't take for granted our audience. All joking aside, we do appreciate each and every one of you who are listening. We know you're out there. We genuinely would love to hear from you. I actually spoke with somebody on the phone after one of our episodes. It was a super encouraging conversation. So we would love to talk with you via email or by phone. Our numbers are available on our website, centerforcongregations.org. But we genuinely appreciate you being here and listening to us. We just want to thank you for being out there. Yes, absolutely. And one last thing that I think we need to mention, Matt and I, we're doing some digging in our data this week. And we just really want to take a moment and shout out some folks that are listening from places that we wouldn't expect people to be listening from. Yes. Um, so these are going to be really random shout outs, but we want to make sure that we do it. So I just want to take a second and say to our one listener in Bedford, New Hampshire, thank you for being you. Thank you for checking out this podcast. Hey, Bedford. We hope you keep coming back, and we just appreciate you. Awesome. And thanks, everybody else. We'll be doing some other regional geographic shout-outs. And if you email us, we'll even give you a shout-out by name. We would absolutely love to do that. So That's right. Let us know. Clergy killer to podcast at centerforcongregations.org. Hey, uh, before we wreck this train any further, folks, we're going to get out of here. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Burke. And I'm Ben Tapper. See you all later.